always uh, wonder after we, uh, we sing, all right, which song am I going to be humming for the rest of the week? It's always quite a uh, collection. You know, um, as we come to the end of, of this series and we talk about the end, there is always a lot of interest around the end. It's because we all wish we could tell the future. I mean, don't we? We all wish we knew it. I mean, if, if we knew the future, then it would have great impact on us today. Right? I mean, if you knew the winning lottery numbers, that's going to have great impact on what you would do, right? Amen. Yeah, amen. Let's, let's pray then. I mean, you'd go play them. Right? If you, if you knew... If you, you knew which stock was going to double in the next year, you'd go take everything that you had and you'd go put all your money in it. If you knew the end. If you knew, if you knew what was going to be on the test, then, then you'd study it. You'd focus your attention on that if you knew the future. That's why it's so wonderful that in, this, in God's epic, He has given us what happens at the end. Because it has great impact on our life today. As we, we've been walking through this, in a sense, sort of this executive summary of, the, of, of God's story, God's epic. We, we started with Act 1, the creation, how and why He got everything going, and which included the fall which then brought about the act two, the nation of Israel being formed, being through that nation that God will rescue, will, will redeem, will renew, and the, the fallen world. And then act three then is Jesus, God in the flesh, who, who fulfills that renewal and hands the baton and the power of the Spirit to us, the church which is Act 4. It's the only unfinished act, in a sense. We know Act 5, but Act 4 is what we, we are living that out now. We, we are on stage as the church, carrying out God's plan. We know what the first three acts were, and so we want to live based upon those first three acts. And now we know now what the end of the epic will be. So we live in that direction. And so knowing what the end is directly impacts our life today. Now, you know, in, in, when we do talk about Revelation, as, as Karen was, was sharing, you know, a wide variety of responses from fear to great interest. And I think largely in the United States, there was great interest because it can be so controversial. You know, well, which happens when? Who comes first? And what happens after that? And who's the Antichrist? And just when is Jesus going to come? And to be quite honest, and even Jesus said some of that debating is a waste of time. Even Jesus said, don't worry about figuring out when I'm going to come. 
Because what is important is knowing that I will come, and when I come, I will come with power and honor, and all things will be subsumed under my feet. That's what's important. I'm sorry, what did you say, Vanetta? Uh-huh. Amen. Always put God first. I, that, that sort of summarizes what I'm going to say. Right? And you said, it, you said it a whole lot faster and quicker. And I don't even get paid by the hour. But we, we can waste a lot of time trying to figure out which comes when and where, instead of saying, how do we put God first? Because we know He is first, no matter what. I think it sort of satisfies our curiosity um, in terms of really focusing our attention upon the who, what, whens of the end times, instead of really focusing what it's meant to teach us is to deepen our faith and strengthen our faithfulness. To deepen our faith and strengthen our faithfulness to God. You see, Revelation, the book, was written in a time of great persecution of the church. The season in which Revelation was written in the first hundred years of the church were the times when the church of Jesus Christ was really just a cult. It was this group of weird people who were doing weird things. And the Roman government didn't like some of the things they said, and they systematically, regularly attacked them, questioned them, interrogated them, imprisoned them, and executed them. That was the world that the church lived in in the first century, in the first couple centuries. That was the context that Revelation was written in. I don't think... When the choice is prison or having your throat slit, you care which comes first, second, or third. You just want to know, is this worth it? Does God win in the end? Is this true? Because if it's true, if it's not true, I'm chunking Jesus and I'm going to say praise to whoever the emperor is or whatever gets me out of jail. And if it's not me or if it's my loved one, I want to know. What is the end? So those in the midst of that, in that time, in those persecutions, they wanted to know, is faithfulness to God truly an investment with eternal returns? Got a video here from what we've been using throughout this series of the, the mini-series, the Bible, from the History Channel. And it, and it captures, again, just a, a piece of that context. Uh, you'll uh, um, see and, and hear about Matthew and uh, uh, the Apostle Paul and also John who, who wrote the book of Revelation. But it, again, captures a piece of that and gives you a context of that right. Now, it, there is a sense of this that is gross and vicious. I actually cut out the part that was grossest and vicious. And um, I'm afraid that, and, and I had a, you know, was a thought within me to say, oh, maybe we, should, we couldn't do that, we shouldn't handle it. And then I thought about, well, you know, I think the problem is that we've cut out the gross and vicious parts. 
And we've lost track of the, what was going on in the church when all this was being written. Don't worry, it's not terribly gross at all. But it's more gross than you're used to, I'm sorry to say, because the reality is vicious. So, let's, uh, but let's um, watch this. And John is poisoned in Rome. Take these. Something must survive. If not me, my words at least. Go. Go. I fought a good fight. Finish the race. Can I get the faith? Paul is beheaded by the Romans. But his words live on. His letters form nearly half of the New Testament. But the final chapter is yet to be written. <coughs> the Romans failed to kill John. In frustration, they exile him to a penal colony in Greece, an island called Patmos. So it's in that setting that Revelation is written. And our passage that we want to look at today is Revelation chapter 21, starting with verse 1. And as uh, we just heard, and may have heard before, you know, the, it's John the Apostle who writes this, and, and it's part of a vision and an encounter, a series of encounters with, uh, with God as he's on the island of uh, Patmos to, to share with us, share with the church throughout the ages, that uh, what the end is. So as to say to us that faithfulness to God is worth it to the end above and beyond anything and all else. Uh, 1007 in your pew Bible, um, Revelation chapter 21, starting with verse 1. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your written word. Thank you for your writing of, of history in our lives. Speak to us in this moment of what is everlasting and eternal so that we might invest our lives in that today. Reveal to us as we hear your word, each one of us ways that we waste our time, energy, resources that you've entrusted to us on that which doesn't return on investment. 
And show us the ways you are calling and empowering us to be faithful to you, even in the face of pain. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars... Their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, no, just as we, you look at this passage, as, as God is giving us this picture of what is to come, the, the final, in a sense, place of all existence. It is a new heaven, a new earth, and a new city. I find that really interesting, that it's not something totally different. You know, that, that from the beginning, God said, this is how I created it, uh, heaven and the earth. Now, the difference is we start in a garden and we end in a city. But other than that, which, which means this movement from garden to city even was part of God's plan. So there is, there is not this huge discontinuous change. He doesn't make a new something else. He makes a new heaven, earth, and city. And therefore, that means what happens in cities. We are interdependent upon one another. The reality of our existence is in community with one another. Not just our own little private islands, our own little bubbles. Eternity includes being with one another in the new heaven and new earth and with God forever in our presence. Evil is gone. You know, in, in verse 1, you'll notice the one thing that's gone. You know, new heaven, new earth, new um, city. But there's one thing that is gone. Did you catch that in, uh, in, in verse 1? What's no more? The sea. Now, i got buddies in, in ministry who say that means more people will be in church because there won't be lakes or streams to fish in, lakes to ski in, or beaches to lay out on. Don't quite think that's the reason. If you go back to Revelation 13, the beast 
comes out of the sea. The beast that is the one that attacks and destroys and maims and conquers the church. The beast who is evil, the evil one himself, comes out of the sea to oppose and destroy the church. And so not only is the beast destroyed, but the very place that the beast comes from is destroyed. So evil is no more. That's why decay is gone. That's why death is Tears and pain are gone. Now again, this is an important place to recognize the the context of this passage. Because we see that as Americans. We see that as uh, American Christians. And we think when we see death, pain, and tears, that means disease is gone. And accidents are gone. And we we feel sorry for doctors because they no longer have work in uh, in heaven. They've got to come up with some other job. But if you're a first century Christian and you hear that death and tears and pain are no more, oh man, then you're like, it's no longer direct persecution. You're no longer going to be beaten for being a follower of Jesus. You're no longer going to be facing that kind of opposition that you're going to be facing. That's what they're hearing. The the opposition that we face, whether we're in such direct challenging situations as those brothers then or brothers and sisters in in Christ who, who live in southern Iraq or in Pakistan or in Nigeria or other places where they showed up this morning to the threat of a bomb going off around them because they were there to worship Jesus. They read this and they say, I can't wait till that day when I can get up on Sunday morning And I can show up in a worship service and I don't have to worry about a bomb going off. In case you you, you think I'm just making some of this up or have a nice little video for you. I, um, I asked a, um, a member of the church who knows about these kind of things. I said, you know, you got a good historical reference to talk to me, uh, talk to us about the church um, in the first century and the persecution that they faced. And, uh, and this is a letter. If you're interested in this kind of thing, you can write it down. I, I've always called him Pliny, P-L-I-N-Y, maybe Pliny, who knows. I just say Pliny and act like that that's right. And what do we know? Nobody's around to tell us otherwise. But he was writing, and he was a sort of a governor, a government official. Uh, and, and he was writing to Emperor Trajan. This is around 1010 AD, around the same time that Revelation, in that same world. And he's writing a letter because he's been persecuting Christians, and he needs to get with the emperor and say, you know, is this really fitting with our plan? Is this online with our mission and our vision to exterminate Christians, or not really to exterminate Christians, but to be the best we can be as emperors. And Christians sometimes get in the way. And this this is a quote from, from part of what he says. Meanwhile, in the case of those who were denounced to me as Christians, I have observed the following procedure. I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. For I had no doubt 
that whatever the nature of their creed, stubbornness, and inflexible obstinacy surely deserved to be punished. That was the law of the land in around 100 A.D. We are still in the midst of a battle. And, and where we would err is to think the, the enemy was the emperor. The enemy is the devil who is at work through human means to oppose the church wherever it might be flourishing. In many parts of the world, that means direct persecution and a clear demand, as here, to renounce Jesus. I mean, that was it. Either, either you worship, he goes on to say, but if they renounce Jesus, if they say Jesus isn't God, and if they will then bow down to the gods we have or, or to your likeness, dear emperor, then we let them go. It was that simple. Not easy, but that simple. And many in our world today, that's all they have to do. Just stop being an active follower of Jesus. But for us, in our safe contexts, we don't have direct persecution. I've never had anybody tell me, denounce Jesus or die. Never has that happened to me. And I doubt very seriously it's happened to many of you, except for those who might be from Nigeria or other parts of the world where you have faced that. Yeah. Or others who served in those parts of the world. We face a little bit today, starting to pick up a little bit. Um, maybe that means that, that maybe that's even good. You know, um, example of that. Uh, you know, the police walk, the prayer walk that I mentioned last um, uh, Sunday, where we meet on Saturdays at 4 o'clock, and it's one of like 14 different prayer walks, that the police department have come to the faith community and say, listen, we need all the help that we can get. Would you come and, and pray for, for violence to end, for us to continue to pursue um, what is good and right in our communities, because we, we need you to, to partner with us. Well, um, a couple atheist groups got a wind of that, and wrote letters to the police department to say they were going to press charges if the police department did that. And so, you know, poor uh, Chief Blackwell, he's on the office, uh, what, two weeks? And now he's uh, faced with this um, kind of uh, situation. And so, um, you know, if, if I didn't know the end of the story, I'd get ticked at that. You know, mind your own business. You know, Go find some way for you to do good stuff. You know, don't be stopping this good stuff. But since I know the end of the story, and since the others who are part of this know the end of the story, it's like, who cares? Who cares if there's police officers there or not? Who cares if there's the police department insignia on the little things that we hand out? Who cares if it's an official work of the police department or not? I know God doesn't. And I, since I know the end of the story, I know who wins, then I say, all right, well, then whoever's going to show up, we're still going to pray. And we did this Saturday, and we will for the next six Saturdays, 4 o'clock, right over here, just silently walking through the community, praying for God's Holy Spirit to rain down. 
But, you know, that's a pretty minuscule kind of persecution, but that's sort of the, the best we got <laughs> in our settings. We, we tend to face more, not the death of the one sword, but of the hundreds and hundreds of just little bites of, of tearing away at the faithfulness of Christ. We don't face death and dismemberment, but we do face, and some of you have faced, tears and pain and disappointment and loss in this world for following Jesus. The, the one, as I sat with this, what really came to my mind the most as an example are, are my, my, my friends, who uh, adults who are single. And the, the world just beats them up. I'm afraid the church doesn't help all that much, at least not what they tell me. Because there's something wrong with them if they're not married. They're not whole. They're not complete. And they've got lots of potential partners who dismiss them because they want to follow Jesus and they're not willing to have sex with them before they get married. And that's real emotional pain and struggle as they seek in opposition as the biological clock is ticking, as the pressure surrounds them to be faithful to Jesus. They need to know the end and that it's worth it to be faithful to Jesus. Because in that day, all will be well. The, the, the dreams and the, the happiness, the joy, the fulfillment, the, the total alignment with Jesus it will be there because God will be there in his fullness. There will be nothing there to oppose or distract or demean us because there we are worshiping and faithful to God. There will be no ADD with God. Nothing will distract us from, us, from him. Finally, the, the last few verses there, verse 6 and 7 and, and 8, it tells us who's going to be there. This is a, a rather jarring uh, passage here because we don't talk about this much. Jesus did. Jesus talked about the judgment of God and that there will be sheep and goats and that there will be those with God and those not with God. He talked about it all the time. And here he makes it clear in, in verse 7 that the, the conquerors, Verse 7, those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. The conquerors, or other translations say overcomers. And, it, and it's, it's those who are faithful to Christ even in the face of imprisonment, dismemberment, and beheadings. Or whatever else we might face. Whatever opposition, whatever struggle, they are the ones who will inherit that those who stay faithful to God. And then he says, and those who don't. And he gives a list of things. Those who are cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars. Their place will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now again, in the first century, that had great meaning because those were 
regularly said of those who opposed the church. That, that describes those who opposed the church or even those who were inside the church but then who only gave lip service to Jesus and then betrayed the church. Those who, who live in fear and not in faith. Those who give up on God. Those who then are characterized by these immoral things that are listed here and worship practices that were common in the first century of those outside the church. And largely, to summarize, it's those who use other people to satisfy themselves, whether through murder to satisfy their anger, their power desires, whether it's sex to satisfy their own pleasure, whether it's using spiritual powers and magic and sorcerers and even idols for themselves and who lied regularly in order to save themselves, in order to satisfy themselves, in order to further themselves. Now, I want to take one moment just to step back, and particularly for those who maybe are young believers or non-believers here. Those that are they're just hearing this passage and this, these ideas even for the first time. Because it may be that you look at that and you say, okay, so the way to be with God is to not lie, to not have uh, sex outside of marriage, um, to, to not be uh, cowardly, and to not murder. That's not what this passage is teaching. The only way that anyone is with God today, tomorrow, and any day is because the blood of Jesus pours over them and has forgiven them for their sins. For all are sinners. Every one of us are deserving of the lake of fire and sulfur. Everyone who has sinned fallen short of the glory of God. The only reason that they are that anyone is an overcomer or faithful to this end is because of the work of God in them to cleanse them of sin, to forgive them of sin, and to purify them to be with God forever. Anyone and everyone has created. God loves. Scripture is clear that Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. That God desires for all to come to repentance and to turn to Him. And if we don't, if we don't want God, if we don't want to follow God, then God will not force himself upon us. And we will then have the rewards of what we want. The, the point of the passage then is faithfulness to God at all cost. Because that is the only sure thing that we can invest our lives in. Faithfulness to God at all costs, because that's, that's the only thing that's real and true at the end. What does that mean for us? Well, it means when we're at work, if we're asked to do something that is unfaithful to Jesus, and if we don't do it, we're going to lose our job, then we choose to lose our job. 
rather than being unfaithful to Jesus. That if at school we get laughed at for being faithful to Jesus, then we choose to be ridiculed. Because we want to be faithful to Jesus because that's what we know is true in the end. That we don't, we don't cheat and lie and use others in order to get a, a good grade or get ahead at work or get what we want because those are unfaithful to Jesus and those rewards in this life will eventually be meaningless in the end. Yes. Yeah, it means sacrifice at times. It means it might hurt. It, means it, might, it might really be painful to our very heart to our mind, and it might in the moment seem like a huge sacrifice, but just stop for a moment and take a look at the whole epic, and you tell me which is a better sacrifice, to give up in this world so that we might be faithful to God, or to give up faithfulness to God in order to avoid pain in this world. Now what, but it's not though a matter of us just, okay, I'm going to be strong myself. It means that's what community is for. That's why we need one another to support and encourage. I mean, if somebody here is going to lose their job tomorrow because they're not going to do what they've been asking them to do, then it's our job to say, okay, we're going to be sure you still got food on your table and you've got a roof over your head. And so we got to pull the resources. We got to know that. And we got to be in relationship to do that and say, we're not going to let you flounder because you're standing up for your faithfulness to God because we know the end. Back to this, this and, and the thing is, that's the way the church has always done it. I mean, listen to this. This is back to this letter from Pliny to Trajan. And he's, he's describing as he's been um, inquiring of these Christians, wanting to know what they do and what they're about before he you know, punishes them, imprisons them, or executes them. This is what he's found out. That they asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, but to bind themselves by oath not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not to falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. And when this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. They knew it then, that we needed one another. That, that the opposition that the evil one will bring upon us, and ours, again, is more insidious. It's more like hundreds of little bites trying to take away our faithfulness unto Christ. That they, we need to make an oath to one another. No, we are here to help and support and encourage one another to be faithful to Christ no matter what the opposition Now, if this text, and I haven't gotten in the way of it in any way, um, or not too much, um, as we've talked about it, there, there may be a few of you that are feeling guilty right now. And if, if that's the case, don't dismiss it and don't fall under its power, but 
engage with it before God. Maybe a false guilt. Man, you're, you're faithful to God, and, but you, you're, you're, the struggle you have is truly believing in the grace of Jesus, that he truly has cleansed you from all your sin. Or it may be a true guilt. Maybe that the Spirit is showing you something, that in, in reality you are sacrificing your faithfulness to Christ in order to make it in this world. And if that's the possibility for you, then what I encourage you to do is share it with another Christian you trust. Maybe it's that you're, you're living in fear instead of in faith. I mean, maybe you're driven to succeed, or maybe the sexualization of this world is overwhelming you. Maybe you've given up. You know, it's just too hard. But the fact that you're here, the fact that the Spirit's bringing that up is a sign that deep inside you, you don't want to live that way. And you know the end. You want to be faithful to the end. And God is using this time to bring that to your mind. And may it be one where indeed God is speaking that truth to you at just the right time. To, to stop you in the midst of great trouble in a time for you to seek forgiveness of Jesus today, a great forgiveness that can be yours simply by asking and the help that the church is supposed to be when we face the opposition that we face. Brothers and sisters, knowing the end is great news because we know what is real. We know what is everlasting in value. And we, like the church of old, covenant with one another to live for that day. Amen.